0: tennis fans and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis joined alongside Mike McIntyre. We're the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel podcast network. Remember you can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. We're also on Instagram MatchpointCanada and on YouTube and Facebook as well. Well, Mike, it's funny, just a few days ago, if this were an ordinary year, we'd probably be reflecting and maybe recapping a great Rogers Cup final on the men's and women's side. Of course, there's nothing ordinary about 2020, but I guess the good thing is, this past week, we did have live official tennis on the WTA side.
1: Real tennis is back finally, and I'm so excited uh, to see all these players back in action. And no disrespect to the exhibition tournaments, the world team tennises of the world, uh, all of that stuff, nothing matches up with real live tennis action that counts, that matters for something. And it's really exciting to see in this early time, um, you know, you can tell some players who put in the work, who put in the time to really get ready for this. Others maybe are struggling early on and, and that's okay as they shake off the rest too. But uh, it's been really cool to see some of these players who've obviously taken this time, this unprecedented time that these tennis players have had to try new things, maybe retool their game. And, uh, and there have been a few that have really stood out uh, in the early goings here.
0: Yeah yeah certainly and for me I thought there were a few players who in a sense kind of uh, you know picked up from where they left off. We saw a great tournament from Coco Goff in fact in her first event back at the top seat open. Jennifer Brady getting her first career title which we'll talk about a bit later but she was someone who was kind of laying a nice platform at the front end of 2020 Uh, and then seeing some other players maybe struggle a little bit but um Canadian-wise, I think it was also a positive week as well, specifically uh, Jeannie Bouchard, who we'll get to as well, making uh, a great, great quarterfinals run. But usually, if we were talking about Canadians now, we might be reflecting on Canadian performances at Rogers Cup. And it's really the perfect event for our country, not only because it's hosted here, but it's also just that ultimate opportunity for so many young up-and-coming players or players who are more on the fringes of the rankings outside the top 100, top 200, To get that opportunity to say, you know, have a wild card playing qualifying, whether it's a Peter Polanski or Steven Diaz or or on the women's side, you know, someone younger um, like a Carson Brandstein, getting that opportunity to play in in a competitive tournament against the best in the world. And unfortunately, we didn't have that this year.
1: Yeah, that's who I feel the the worst for is, is not the big names who are going to get back on track and have access to all the big tournaments and the bigger paydays and, and more ranking points. But the players that you just alluded to, those unheralded or those up-and-coming Canadians that are trying to make their mark that they know on their calendar, the Rogers cup is that one time a year when they can rely on either getting a a main draw wild card for the few that are fortunate or even a qualifying wild card. And maybe they can turn that into something. And regardless, probably a bigger payday, and even if they get into the first round somehow, you know, those ranking points that are key that might just push them into that next bracket that might help them out as they continue the year. So those are the ones that that I feel for the most. And and some of the names that came to mind, and it's kind of a mix for me, I'll throw a couple out there. Uh, on the women's side, uh, Charlotte Robillard-Millette, who was just coming back after a very lengthy layoff, and she just started playing some smaller tournaments earlier in the year, if memory serves correctly. Um, and so to see her get back into it and have that opportunity to compete again in Canada in front of some fans here. That would have been really nice, a nice story to follow. Um, Jeannie Bouchard, obviously who's looking to boost her WTA ranking and we'll talk about her at length later on also would have benefited from being in there. And on the men's side, uh, you know, someone like a Vashik Pospisil to me, who again, getting that main draw wild card if, if needed. Uh, and someone who's a dangerous player who's proven to be, uh, you know, quite, quite on top of things in the early goings of 2020 it would have been great to see him back as well after everything he's been through the past couple of years
0: yeah and uh, you know who I would have loved to see and it's it's kind of interesting to reflect on her first showing actually at the Rogers Cup last year Leila Annie Fernandez playing in that uh, main draw that experience on center court last year and of course completely different uh I, I don't want to say she wasn't completely ready, but it, she really was entering a new phase of her career. Still very very young, still a major learning curve, and she lost very very handily. I want to say maybe love and love to Marie Boskova. And you think how far she has come since that point last August is truly incredible. Now she's you know knocking at the door of top one hundred, and. You know, I'm sure we can all agree if this had been a full calendar season, she would be well inside the top 100, probably top 75, charging towards the top 50 if she had more tournaments under her belt. So it would have been great to see her as, you know, one of our new rising stars playing at this high end event where she certainly would truly belong this season.
1: Totally different player from a year ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite the story. And and to think that back in 2019, if you looked from January to August, big improvement in Canadian tennis players, we would have all been gushing about Bianca, and rightly so. I mean, you can't get any bigger of a rise than what she did. But from August to where we are now, certainly in terms of the surprise and the the, uh, the up-and-coming gem that we have here in Canada, it's, it's Leila Annie. And uh, she's on the cusp of the top 100 in the world now. And the confidence to me is just the biggest thing that you can see with her on the court. My goodness, that, that belief. And it's backed up by results as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, terrific. Uh, We should segue to Bianca Andreescu because certainly people have a lot of questions and we did get answers on her status for the U.S. Open over this past week. Disappointing news, I'm sure, for Canadian fans that uh, she has pulled out of the event. We had seen her name on the entry list, but for the most part, things were very quiet from her camp. We hadn't heard any confirmation. She wasn't signed up to play the Western and Southern Open. So I think both you and I, sort of had the sense that something was awry, and she did pull out of the event. She cited lack of match preparation, challenges related due to COVID-19, and there were also reports, these weren't directly from her, but from Christopher Clary of the New York Times and a couple of articles you can read citing uh, some type of foot injury, um, you know, maybe her not being quite 100% there yet physically. So she is still not ready to make her return, which, it's disappointing, especially given the fact that she, she now hasn't played a professional match since going back to late October at the WTA Finals. And uh, this is something that we were concerned about when she missed Indian Wells and then, you know, the world turned on its head and now we're all the way into August and she's still not ready to play yet.
1: It's really troubling and you can't help, uh, you know, you can't, I mean, you can totally forgive people for speculation because we all want to know what's really going on behind the scenes. And that message that was put out seems like it was quite cleverly crafted. uh, And I'm not saying that Bianca didn't write the whole thing herself, but it seems like it may have also had some help from a PR team there. And I, I just wonder what else is going on and, and, you know, what is not being shared and, and the reasons for that, who knows as well. But if it's if it's not being match ready to come back after having all this time off, to me there's more to it because that doesn't really add up. Uh, yeah. You know, lots of people are not going to be completely match ready uh, after what we've all been through with uh, with COVID and the pandemic and the shutdown and the quarantining. So uh to me there's got to be something else there if you read between the lines and then you know if you take that further and it's speculation but that's what you know we're here to do and that's what uh fans want to hear about and get into as well is could it still be the knee in which case my goodness that's been something that's been going on for quite some time or is it something else that's popped up and we know she's had a whole bunch of other injuries over the years from the back to the foot to the you know you name it so Um, very concerning Uh, and perhaps it was something small maybe something that just came up in training not too long ago that then didn't make her feel confident and comfortable coming back so soon Uh, and we know that she's learned from rushing back to the tour as well so I don't think we're gonna get any more than that Bianca is not doing any press at current time uh, but we will keep trying and uh, and certainly if we can get a word in with Bianca as we have many times in the past we will do so for you guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, we certainly will. I, I do wonder if one of the elements that did influence this decision is the fact that we're getting a, in a, in a sense, a protected ranking. The, the calendar ranking is now rolling over into 2021. So it's not a stress on Bianca and her team to have to go to the US Open and defend those points she doesn't have to be there. It's not going to cost her in the rankings, not going to cost her in any type of positioning for future tournaments. So if it is a scenario where if she did have to play, she would be playing through, even if it were minor pain, maybe she's 90%. The team and her have just decided, well, it's not worth it in a year like this, in a year like this, where the world number one and Ashley Barty is also pulled out, Simona Halep is not there, and we have a, a handful of, of top 10 players missing the event. Maybe this is the time to take even additional extra time off. And I'm very curious, though, if she can make the European clay court swing. It's a very different, different clay court swing this year, but we still will get the French open. Uh, but if they're kind of evaluating, maybe a clay surface is just going to be a lot easier on her body if she's having trouble with, you know, the lower body joints, whether it's knee pain, if it's something in the foot, that they don't want to make this tough return to a hard court surface. Maybe they can start up again on clay.
1: Um, And the flip side of of what you just said about reasons maybe not to come back and rush, it it must also be, you know, really driving her crazy not to be back out there, not to be able to go back and defend her slam title where everything, you know, happened and, and fell into place and clicked so well for her a year ago. And especially given that the field is, understandably going to be not quite as strong as it would have been at that time would have given her even a better chance to probably go deep in that tournament, even with the layoff. So uh, I can only imagine how frustrating it must be for her not to be able to go there and, and defend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. And I I think probably some fans are having concerns about long-term health. Is this going to be a problem that she deals with her whole career? Um, You know, one player I'll just kind of, Make reference to is the the ultimate player of playing through injuries and playing through injuries throughout the entirety of his career on the men's side. I I think we had a lot of questions. You know, I I don't want to make a Bianca Rafael Nadal comparable necessarily, but um, if you look at Rafael Nadal at a young age, he always had these injury issues pop up. He had a knee injury which people thought would essentially end his career when he was a teenager, and uh, he's carved out a career and is now you know thirty three, thirty four years old. Uh, So. I am hopeful this is not going to be some type of permanent setback or we're not going to see Bianca on the court for just months on end, months on end. She'll find a way to manage her body a little bit better. And this is part of the learning curve where you look at 2019, she just played so much tennis, something her something she really never put her body through uh, that. I think lessons will be learned from that. And uh, she's not going to rush back. That's for sure.
1: All I want to say before we move on to our next topic is, you just couldn't wait to make a comparison to Rafa in there, right? Like, are you just it's not a bad
0: comparison? Are you just searching for your female
1: <laughs> Rafa equivalent, you know, to put up there on the pedestal? Is that it?
0: I I think a lot of people would be pretty okay with uh, 19 slams from a Canadian,
1: right? And hey, don't get me wrong, gonna miss both of them at the U.S. Open. Yes, uh, never enjoy seeing the reigning champion missing. Uh, right. and unless they retired like a Pete Sampras, I mean, that's the ultimate way to, to end it, I guess. But uh, for Rafa, who's still going going strong and hopefully has many years ahead of him, and Bianca, who, yeah, as you mentioned, could only hope to have that kind of career. Um, it's just unfortunate that uh, we're not going to see them both in that draw this year,
0: yeah, yeah, unfortunate. Another name we're not going to see, but she just recently won a title, uh, Simona Halep, capturing the win at the Prague Open, and then shortly after, essentially a day after withdrew from the u.s open citing concerns about travel to the united states which is not surprising we had been hearing the reports before uh that simona might drop out i wonder again if this is a scenario actually flushing meadows she has never played well there which is rather strange to me and again if it's a calendar year where you're trying to pick your spots where can i peak where can i play my best simona halep is definitely a contender to win the french open so i i don't think there's much harm i think for her in bypassing the u.s open this year
1: yeah if i was going to pick one or the other and i'm simona halep then i'm definitely going for the clay of the french open regardless of what time of year it's at based on past performance but great for her to come back win a tournament and then say ah, but i'm gonna skip out the next slam i mean it's um obviously her game is is clicking and uh Couple of longer three setters, I believe, when she started that tournament, but she ended winning uh, the last few in straight sets, and um, you know, definitely one that you put at the top of the pile. I think, come uh, end of September, early October.
0: Yeah, definite contender there. Jeannie Bouchard competing in the Prague Open as well.
1: Jeannie hey, with the big, you know, return, and she—I think yeah. she delivered. I think—I don't know about you, but I think her result there was something to definitely talk about and focus on in a positive way.
0: Definitely, definitely, quarterfinals run and look. If if we were looking at her tournament and her schedule, I think in 2019, she was jumping around in the in the ITF circuit and she was losing early in the ITF circuit to players that are. You know some players outside the top 400. This was a legitimate WTA international. She goes there, she beats a couple of players, Kruda Matova, Tamara Zidansek, who's a pretty nice top 100 player. And then she pushed Elise Mertens, who got to the final and is a great player in her own right, who's been to a Grand Slam semi, like a very solid, generally top 20 type of player. That won a tight three sets. And then of course, Mertens made it to the final. So Bouchard now inside the top 300 again. I know that doesn't sound like much. Ranking is up to 272, but I'm I'm insisting to people she is playing so much better than her ranking. She at least to me from watching looks, you know, top 75, top 100.
1: For some players, you know what, it's maybe tough to get up for those matches where you're up against, I don't want to say a no-name, but someone you're not as familiar with, someone who's lower in the rankings. Um, If I can make a comparison to my men's league hockey team, and this is a bit of a stretch, but when we go up against weaker opponents, we usually have a pretty rough outing, whereas if we're up against one of the top teams, we're really pumped up, we're feeling it, and you go out Mm -hmm. there just raising your level as well. And Jeannie maybe is one of those players who who does that because – not only did she have a great week here uh, returning to action in Prague, but she started the year well in Auckland where she beat Flipkins and Caroline Garcia, who were both top 50 players before taking Amanda Nisimova to three sets. And here she is again in another WTA event and, thankfully due to a wild card she received. And we've had this talk before about how the wild cards are not going to last forever unless she can back them up with some results. And she certainly did that this past week in Prague. But beating again uh, a top 50 opponent, a top 100 opponent, and then pushing number, I think, 21, Elise Mertens, to three sets, a player she had never previously taken a set off of, uh, this shows real improvements. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, I think, has to do with, the focus and the determination, never giving up through that, you know, incredibly challenging, frustrating 2019 uh, and also looking at trying new things, constantly trying new things. And in this case, the one I'm going to throw out there is her new coach Renee Stubbs. And clearly that partnership seems to be working. You can just see how supportive Renee is um, of of Jeannie. And and this was a great first event for the two of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I certainly think so. You know, Jeannie uh, highlighted that well when we had her conversation, our conversation with her back on Canada Day, the start of July. She was very quite upbeat about, about finding the new coach and taking in all the information Renee Stubbs was sharing. It looked like they were already formulating this great relationship. And I just felt like, it is such a positive thing for Jeannie Bouchard competing in world team tennis, where she's amongst players like a Sloan Stevens and Madison keys, Sophia Kenan, you know, all these top American players, Danielle Collins, and just competing in a sense that she completely belongs. Not only does she belong there, she was winning the bulk of her matches, singles and doubles. It was just such a good sign to me. And, uh, you know, it was still exhibition play, but you could see how competitive everybody was towards that event because they weren't getting any match play whatsoever because of the coronavirus hiatus. So everybody was taking it seriously. And I think she drew a lot of momentum from that going into, going into Prague in this tournament and just getting back to official tournament match play. I, I think Jeannie, you know, a lot of players do thrive on confidence, but I think especially for Jeannie, she has to be confident in her game style because she plays aggressive. She'll play close to the lines. If she doesn't have confidence in her shots, things can go off like quite quickly. We've seen that in the past, and uh, I think her mental game is just in better shape right now, and that's translating on court. Yeah,
1: and, and we're happy to see that, and we know her fans are happy to see that, who interact with us quite often on, on Twitter, and they're a great bunch, and they're a very resilient and a loyal bunch as well, so they must be thrilled with, with how she's done uh, in her first week back. Uh, Another Canadian that we want to talk about, of course, and we alluded to her uh, earlier briefly, was Leila Annie Fernandez, um, who did a great job qualifying in Lexington and then beating, once again this year, Sloane Stevens, in her opening round match. Uh, career high, 111 on the WTA, and it seems like it's just a matter of time now before she breaks into the top 100. And uh, still at the age of only 17, uh, getting into the top 100 is, uh, is quite a feat.
0: Yeah, it's a it's an incredible accomplishment. Uh, you know, sometimes you don't know with junior players. I think that have success in junior opens, like like uh, Layla, for example, winning the junior French. We've seen in the past with certain players that doesn't always translate to professional success. And Layla, if we recall, you know, the previous year before we saw her at Rogers Cup, opting out of the junior circuit and playing those tournaments in Quebec, and I think getting some valuable valuable experience still as a teenager at 16 but just playing against adults and getting used to that I think it's just like helped her maturity in spades and she was already like such a mature teenager but I'm, I'm so impressed by her that it like it's stunning to me that she's still only 17 years old like she already very much looks like she belongs there you know she doesn't have kind of like deer in the headlights look at all. I suppose it's different when we don't have a fan base and you're going into these atmospheres without a crowd this year. But, I mean, we saw it in the past in, in Acapulco. you like playing in front of a crowd like that, spending off match points in her first final. Um, she just has all these elements of of a great, not only just a great champion, potential champion, but just a great competitor. And uh, I, I love her toughness. And just for her to pick up right where she left off is is such a great sign.
1: And she's going to be a great role model too for kids. I think she's Definitely. just got a very squeaky clean image and a good wholesome personality and a nice family background there. And and I think she's going to do wonders for Tennis Canada. And I don't just mean like the organization, but tennis in Canada, I should say. Uh, and she was very close to getting a matchup with Serena Williams. If not for the loss to Shelby Rogers, it would have been a Leila Annie Fernandez versus Serena Williams and my goodness, that would have been like, okay, kids, go watch some Paw Patrol or something in the basement because I'm going to be watching this match. <laughs> and no matter what happens here, that would have been yeah. something else to see. And, and it would have been very interesting to see how she would have faced off against Serena, who clearly was, was also still trying to find her, her A game.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, there was still kind of a, a can't-miss match for me in Lexington was Serena versus Venus, because I just wonder how often are we going to get this again, if ever, to see them squaring off uh, once more and Serena Williams' gutting out a tough three-set win. I think she was uh, I'm not going to say she was overwhelmed by her sister. She knows how good Venus can be but Venus' ball striking early in this match was terrific. She She raced forward and took that first set and then things kind of took a turn in the second, Serena started finding her legs a bit better, but uh, it, was, it was a match that I thought kind of started out slow and sluggish with both of them kind of, you know, feeling each other out, getting back into match play, and then we hit a groove at one point in this match in the third set where, like, we're watching, you know, two of the greatest tennis players of all time right now, um, and that's, it's special to see and just incredibly unusual to see in Lexington because it felt like a side court practice match at the same time.
1: Yeah, that was the bizarre part. I mean, there's been times in the past where watching sister versus sister has been kind of awkward, especially in the early goings where it was definitely awkward for them. Uh, This was not awkward, but bizarre in the sense that they were playing on such a small court in such a a small setting uh, for their 31st career meeting. Um, and, And if they were tentative at all at the start, as you were kind of mentioning, feeling themselves out, Uh, it it was, you know, perhaps because of the changes that a 40-year-old Venus Williams has put into her game. And to me, that's one of the most um, eye-opening things so far that I've seen from any player in this post-COVID, I mean, not that we're over COVID, but return from, um, you know, this, this quarantine phase is the changes she's put into her game on her serve and her forehand. And to do that when you're 40 years old, to do that at any stage is, is a big ask, I feel, because tennis players are, are so ingrained with you know, what's comfortable for them. But to do it at the age of 40, when most people are probably thinking, if, if this isn't her last year, then it must be next year. To me, if you're making those changes, you're, you're pretty much putting it out there that retirement is not a word you're thinking of in any way, shape or form. And, uh, and I think we're going to see her around for some time because this just speaks to her desire to continue to stay relevant and to continue to challenge and compete. And, uh, and I was just so impressed with, with that aspect from Venus.
0: Yeah, it's, it's uh, incredible to see someone to make a, a technical change to their game at, at this stage in, in their career. It's, it's so challenging to make for someone who hasn't maybe learned tennis or, or played it at, at a higher level. Uh, making a technical change to any shot is very, very difficult. So even if it's a slight change with her service motion and the way her racket is coming back, that is something that has to be ingrained with constant repetition until it becomes muscle memory. This is something like you have to work on for long, long periods of time. I had issue with my two-handed backhand, which had to undergo a major change, and that took a long, long time. It is not easy. So for her to do it at 40 years old uh, shows her commitment and you know just passion for the game, I think. She, she loves the sport of tennis. That's part of the reason why she's still out there. And I think every player on the WTA understands anytime you're facing Venus Williams, you're in for a very challenging match. She is still very, very tough to beat at her age. Serena had a tough time beating her 6-4 in the third set. She just scraped by before losing to Shelby Rogers in the next round. Uh, but Venus can still compete at the highest level, which uh, is, is so impressive. And, uh, you know, she's, she's had a Hall of Fame career. And amazingly, it, it continues.
1: And Venus took out someone in the opening round there who's also had a fairly Hall of Fame-like career in Victoria, Azarenka, and that was yes. in, in straight sets. So uh, this tournament had some some great matches early on. I know we were all drooling over that draw on Twitter, and, and rightly so. And uh, before we move on to a few other results from Lexington, um, to me, when we talk about Serena, doesn't really matter for me anything outside of the slams at this point, because uh, she's going to take it to another level when it's a major And when we spoke to her coach, Patrick Muradigli, recently, he said that they want to work on and talk about how she's going to handle those big moments when she gets there. And that's not something you can replicate in a tournament like Lexington, in a tournament like Cincinnati, in any other tournament. You got to wait till you get there and then see what you've learned from your previous disappointments. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, a deep run from Serena uh, at this next major in New York and uh, even without a crowd there uh, I'm sure she's going to be as fired up as as anyone can be to try and get that uh, that elusive uh, you know next number to tie Margaret Court
0: yeah yeah number 24 is is near but so far as well but certainly an opportunity is presenting itself at Flushing Meadows and yeah I definitely think Serena has another gear to kick it into one thing I'm still so impressed With by her age, and Roger Federer is similar in this way, is anytime somebody does sneak a win over Serena or Roger Federer, it is always such a close match. It is always like a 7-5, 7-6 in the third. Like, the other other opponent basically has to play their very best match to do it. And uh, kudos to Shelby Rogers, who pulled it off 7-5, or sorry, 7-6 in the third, 7-5 in a tiebreak before falling to to Jill Teichman and then uh, Jennifer Brady congrats on getting that first title but uh, I'm not concerned about Serena Williams and and her level just from Lexington I don't think it's a full reflection of where she can get to Uh, Jennifer Brady we should touch on just a little bit because she's just another American who I I guess seems to just improve a little bit every year and I, I did get a chance to watch her at Rogers Cup last year she had a couple upset wins she actually beat Simona Halep there Um, which was very impressive. And now we're just seeing better and better wins from her in 2020, including uh, I believe she had a world number one win earlier in this season. Uh, She beat Ash Barty actually back in Brisbane and clearly she's just gradually improving her tennis and uh, now inside the top 40.
1: Yeah. I mean, going through Brady's results this year uh, after she won in Lexington, just to remind myself of the great start she had, I mean, she's 17 and five on the season into the top 40. Um, But if you go back, you know, she beat Maria Sharapova in the second last match of the Russians career earlier this season Uh, in Dubai. She had such, I mean, that was the one that stood out to me where she beat among other players, Svitolina, Vondruzova and Muguruza before falling to Halep in the finals. So she definitely has all the reason in the world to believe in herself with wins over those players and, uh, and now this is obviously the, the best way imaginable for her to return to the tour. So she's one of those, uh, you know, dark horses, I guess we'll be talking about in a week or two when the U.S. Open gets going because she's um, picking up exactly where she left off. Um, some other names that uh, piqued my curiosity here in Lexington, uh, Coco Goff, obviously, who had a strong event, as you uh, talked about, and got a nice uh, win over Sabalenka. And then CeCe Bellis, who's back after a very, very long absence from competition, didn't know if injuries were going to you know, end her career as it looked kind of likely for a while there. And she won a couple of rounds, which is really nice to see um, and still young enough to, uh, to have lots of time to, to work on, on her game. But just great to see that name back in the draw and, and having some positive results.
0: Yeah, she was one of those juniors who was, you know, pegged to be perhaps the next superstar. And then so many injuries, um, just kind of setting things back for a couple of years. But a good reminder to see her in the draw that she's still just 21 years old. So certainly some time if she is healthy uh, to carve out, I think, uh, a great career. I guess this should kind of lead us into the U.S. Open because we've seen some names and faces back. We know some names and faces will be missing uh, you know how do we starting just on the women's side how do we kind of pick and choose some potential favorites because we are missing as you said the defending champion Bianca is not going to be there Serena is hungry for number 24 uh, and then we're missing just a few others from the top 10 Simona Halep's not going to be there uh, Ash Barty the world number one, number one will not be there Svitolina Bencic Kiki Burton's are all missing as well. So we, we talk about WTA always being an open field. This feels incredibly open.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to get into it too much this week because we definitely want to uh, save that for, for our next week's episode. But yeah, to get into it a little bit, I mean, on the men's side, big favourite, Novak Djokovic, absolutely. And that would have been yeah. the same case even if Rafa and Roger were there. So really no change to me on on that side of things. And and we'll get into the men a little bit uh, deeper next week in terms of other names that could certainly press and challenge him. But on the women's side, it does seem much more wide open. And And one aspect I want to talk about is... The decision not to go um, is not an easy decision for many of these players to make. I mean, their, their statements might make it seem rather matter-of-fact because they're so nicely crafted and, and worded and, and just articulate. Um, but there's more to it behind that for a lot of these players who are struggling with the decision to, is it worth the risk, the health risk? Who am I also going to be putting at risk in my family or, or you know, smaller friend circle? Um, how am I prepping for the, the clay season that's going to be immediately afterwards if I'm based in Europe? All these things go into it. It's, it's not an easy decision. I was talking with Belinda Benchich's agent, actually, a couple days ago because um, we have been trying to get her on the podcast, and I do feel pretty confident it's going to happen, and, uh, and was told, you know what, right now Belinda just doesn't want to talk about it, um, feeling down about not being able to go, and, and you got the sense that there was a, you know, a real emotional toll that comes along with that decision for some people to miss out on such a big prestigious tournament that they'd love to go and compete at. And for a player like Bencic be one of the contenders there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great reminder. It's players who are taking the U S open off. This is, this is not a vacation for them, right? This is not only is it their job for, for competitive tennis players for, for these athletes, it is their livelihood. So I, I imagine for a lot of them, Gonna, they're going to be sitting at home probably watching the U.S. Open and really wishing, hoping, gosh, I, I wanted to be there and it's, it's just not possible. This is the year uh, that I just can't do it. And it kills them not to go. It, it's not a scenario where like, oh, yes, I can, I can skip it on that Grand Slam this year. Who wanted to go to that anyway? <laughs>
1: yeah, to who complete... needs more time off? I mean, they've all had that. <laughs> right. And it was hard enough when nobody was playing. But now when you see yeah. a majority or a good bulk of the players who are returning to competition – that's going to be a tough one for sure. And and you can expect these players to be super hungry when they get back on the court, hopefully in Europe on the red clay. Um, we, we do have some big U S open news that, that we want to share, um, which is groundbreaking for us. And, uh, and that's the fact that we've got our first ever grand slam press credentials um, virtually, mind you, um, which actually works into our favor because I don't think either one of us could have actually, gone to New York this year if it even you know if COVID didn't exist but we are super stoked to go and and, and to cover this virtually and have access behind the scenes access and hopefully get a bunch of interviews to, to share with you guys and uh, I, I don't know about you but this is one of the, the highlights so far for me in my uh, uh, tennis ca- career in the media.
0: Yeah this is uh, well of course this is the first uh, accreditation I've I've certainly ever received for a Grand Slam and it's It's ironic because I've never attended a Grand Slam and still won't physically attend one this year, but I have a media accreditation to one. And the U.S. Open, I've said in the past, is actually my favorite Grand Slam. So how fitting that I secure it for the tournament in New York at Flushing Meadows. Uh, Yeah, I think it's just going to be a terrific opportunity. It's obviously a completely different kind of access. You know, we're not going to be face-to-face next to any players, but at the same time, um, I, it's also unprecedented access in the sense that there, there was no scenario in 2020 previously that I thought I, I could have been asking potential press conference questions to a Milos Ranach or a, a Shapovalov. It, it was not going to happen. I, I wouldn't have been able to t- attend New York for two weeks. So as, as you said, I think this is a terrific opportunity. Obviously, you know, you and I both also work full-time jobs. So we're going to do our, our very best to work around that. And, Late uh, nights, if- early mornings. <laughs> Exactly. Deliver as as much pertinent information and analysis as possible as it pertains to the U.S. Open and probably specifically our Canadian players that we're going to track as best as we can.
1: And talking to players by Zoom is nothing new for us. We've been doing plenty of that uh, over the course of the summer, spring, summer. And that's why we've got the YouTube channel out there now with, you know, interviews with players like Milos and and Jeannie, Lucy Safarova, Daniela Hantakova, uh, et cetera, et cetera, so many and so forth. But uh, that will feel actually quite normal in a sense, given what we've been doing lately. And I think we should also, and we mentioned this in a tweet earlier, is a big thank you to the people that have been listening to us, that have been increasing our... Our listenership who have been uh, commenting, leaving positive reviews, uh, all that certainly factors into giving us more of a platform where we've been able to get bigger players, where we've been getting noticed by different um, you know, avenues and, and people like the Tennis Channel who are also supporting us. So it never would have happened if we hadn't had that growth. And that growth doesn't come from you and me. It comes from the people that are, that are listening to us and, and helping us along the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good segue actually to get to maybe a few listener questions because you did pose it on Twitter. Uh, any questions for the podcast? And we had a handful, and I'll start with uh, one of our longtime listeners, actually, Sebastian Renault, who asked, uh, What are your expectations? Actually, we haven't really talked about him yet. Uh, for Chapeau 2.0 and his return to the ATP tour, any particular area of his game you think he might have improved upon during the hiatus? Also, also, how excited are you about his upcoming rap record that is dropping this Friday? Mike, do you want to start with your answer to that?
1: (laughs) Can I just... Oh my God, how do I not put my foot in my mouth here? Not (laughs) looking forward to it at all, okay? Okay. And I didn't know if it was a a record. I I had seen the the trailer or the teaser for his song Night Train, which was... um, Oh, that, that was a, a cringeworthy train ride for me. But um, you know, I actually and, haven't
0: listened to it yet. To and I'm going to
1: blame Blair Henley, who we love chatting with on the podcast, who gave Dennis that platform a year ago to do his post-match rap, which was also kind of cringeworthy. And hey, you know, what? that's okay because he's one of the best tennis players in the world. You don't have to be great at everything. You know, Wayne Gretzky was a great hockey player, maybe not the best coach. So Dennis, it's okay, buddy. And I admire you trying new things. And, um, and, yeah, but let's stick to the tennis. And what I am excited about is to see uh, progress from him, of course. And even without match play, the progress I'm most looking forward to from Dennis is mental progress and being able to keep it together when things aren't going well, uh, you know, not to be pouting on the court, trying to limit the amount of negativity that he's showing, which is only going to fire up his opponent or potentially turn the crowd against him. So I'm hoping to see that Dennis has mellowed a little bit, matured a little bit. And that when he gets into some tough moments, he's just going to let the tennis do the talking for him.
0: Oh, that's a a great answer. Couldn't agree more with the the mental side. And just in terms of the physical physical aspects of, of his tennis game and his skills on court, we know how incredible a shot maker he is. We know how much firepower he has from the baseline. I think one element that I'd I'd like to see some tweaking to is just knowing when to dial it back the slightest bitch. uh, Pardon me. (laughs) (laughs) That is a funny faux pas. Noticing and knowing when to dial it back the slightest little bit for for Dennis, I think, is going to be very important Um, because sometimes he's going 100% against players he can beat, I think, at a 90% clip. Uh, in terms of his power, in terms of going for lines. You know, you have to raise the bar when you're facing the big three top 10 players. Uh, I I think if he knows how to hone in his shots just a little bit better uh, against lesser lights, people outside the top 50, uh, he'll be even stronger and I'd like to see him uh, you know, pick up where he left off end of 2019 when he was really playing his best tennis and maybe we will see that like strong grand slam result that we've been lacking for some time.
1: Yeah and a little more consistency and he's definitely one of those players that when you talk about okay who's, who's next to get into the top 10, I see him knocking at the door and being one of the first guys that legitimately could be doing that because he's got all the talent in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. We'll uh, get to another question. This is from Loli. Potential winners and scenarios on both tours, especially the WTA, which is wide open, the Canadian prospects too. That's what she wants to hear about. Um, I I mean, I think we'll probably get into winners on on both tours, potential winners for, for the U.S. Open on our next episode, if we can maybe shortlist our our contenders. If If we can
1: maybe if we can maybe see a draw so it's not a complete stab in the dark.
0: Yes, yes. If if I took the WTA side and maybe just you know scrunched it down to like four or five names, if I was maybe trying to do that, I would probably say a couple of Americans in terms of Serena Williams, Sophia Cannon, given that she won the Australian Open. And then maybe, you know, maybe a Naomi Osaka as well. Uh, and Karolina Pliskova probably has an opportunity here if, uh, if she does go and play. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for Pliskova given. She's, she's one of the few remaining top ten players who is coming from Europe. She's always been close at Grand Slams. She's gotten to a final at the U.S. Open before and now a thinner draw. Maybe this could be a breakthrough.
1: Yeah, that final seems like a while ago. I know it wasn't all that long ago, but um, I I do feel, and I don't want to say like time is running out, but she's not getting any younger either. So you'd think that, yeah, now would be an apt time for her to sort of step up and and take that that next jump, but... um, I mean, Karolina Pliskova, when we talked to, uh, who was it last summer at the Rogers Cup, who said she's like one of those uh, underrated players and she was ranked in the top five at the time. I think it was Courtney yeah. Nguyen. Uh, but I totally understood what she was saying is that uh, in, in many ways doesn't get the respect that maybe she deserves mm-hmm. um, and, and carries herself a little bit more quietly. But uh, with, with that big serve that isn't quiet at all um, and, and other aspects of her game that are that are quite strong, you'd think that she'd be certainly, yeah, I agree with you putting her in that that category for, for the U S open this year.
0: Well, uh, we'll do one more question. This is from Betty. Uh, This is a good one. And uh, we handled this question back at the Australian open, just for a grand slam. Who do you think will go the furthest in upcoming tournaments global out of the uh, Canadians? So in in terms of the U S open, and I know my answer on the men's side and I felt foolish for not picking him back at the Australian open because he really proved me wrong. My pick is Milos Raonic to go the deepest at the grand slams. Uh, in terms of, you know, starting with the U.S. Open, just uh, his consistency at the Grand Slam le- uh, level is is second to none. The frequency with which we see him playing in the second week so, so often, whether it's a quarter semifinal run, we surprisingly haven't seen it at the U.S. Open as much. But just given how different a scenario it is, it is this year, where he hasn't had, you know, almost a year of tennis, like nine months into tennis and having some aches and bruises on his body, I think he's going to be really healthy at the U.S. Open. and I think he's I really think he's one of the dark horse players that could, you know, push towards the semis maybe.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And we spoke to him this summer as well. And you can tell he's very eager for the U.S. Open. And it's surprising that he hasn't had better success there in the past. But I think he just gets so worn down by the end of the season with, even if it's not injuries, just, you know, he's probably carrying some aches and pains and stuff like that. So yep. uh, coming in as fresh as he could be. Um, I also like Felix ogiali seems chances because he has gotten in some um, match play against top players through uh, Patrick Marataglu's uh, academy and the um, uh, Ultimate GGS. Tennis. Thank you, Ultimate GGS. Tennis Showdown that he was doing in the second phase of that event. So uh, I'd like to think that he's coming in with uh, a little bit of confidence from that as well. And on the women's side, I mean, there's only so many choices for Canadians to go deep, and so I'm going to go a little bit in a different direction with this and say that Gabby DeBrowski, in terms of doubles. Uh, You Mm. can certainly expect that she's going to be one that's in the late stages the second week of the doubles tournament, just given how consistent she's been at the slam level over the last three or four years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's one of our most reliable Canadian tennis players and always making pushes towards semifinals, finals, and has won a few grand slams as well. So a great opportunity for her. And we're also grateful that the U.S. Open did put doubles back on. So we will get to see Gabby and hopefully Sharon Fishman as well. No Bianca Andreescu, fingers crossed that she can maybe make her return from the clay court swing. But for you and I, We are so excited that we will be covering the U.S. Open virtually. And thanks, as always, listeners, for joining us. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. Got color in your cheeks. Do you ever get that feel that you can't shift the tide that sticks around? Like...